Hello, I'm Charles Cooper, and welcome to Kingdom Alive, a teaching ministry about the soon-coming royal reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. In this session, I continue my series, Disciples, Disciple, Understanding the Gospel of God. In this session, we wrestle with the question, what is the difference between the gospel of God versus the gospel of Christ? By asking the question, you have questions. Yet, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 tells us that our Lord's first sermon concerned the gospel of God. Let's continue our journey of discovery. Bibles open, minds engaged. Let's study. What's the difference between the gospel of God versus the gospel of Christ? Most people would say there is no difference. Scholars, guys who supposedly spend their lives studying the word, they conclude that there is no difference between the two. And because they don't see a difference and they fail to appreciate it, it causes tremendous confusion. Because there are passages of the there are passages of scripture which deal with the gospel of God and have nothing to do with the gospel of Christ, and vice versa. If you confuse the two or try to amalgamate them or try to join them or synthesize them, then you're going to come up with errant doctrines like believing that you've got to work to secure your salvation or believing that you've got to work to keep it or believing that you can never really be whole, holy, healthy in God. There will always be doubt. There will always be frustration. You'll always feel like you're just not quite measuring up to what God's standard is for your life. And you'll spend a lot of time frustrated because you don't understand the difference between these two and how they impact your life on a day-to-day -day basis. God doesn't answer one of your prayers, so what do you do? You get mad, you upset, you you don't feel like God is there, you feel like he must not be real, you feel like, well, maybe there's something wrong with me, and it all comes out of a misunderstanding of what it is that God is doing in your life and what it is that he wants you to do, where he's trying to take you. This world is a very little importance to God in terms of your life. He's just not really that interested, primarily because it's passing away. It has so little value. But if you put a lot of value on this world, if you spend every day of your life trying to acquire more of it, there is going to be confusion and frustration in your life between what you think is of God and what you think is not. Now, in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. You would be better, it would have been better 
if they had translated the word gospel as good news, because it is the good news about Jesus Christ that the gospel of Mark is about. Now, unfortunately, there's just so much confusion because when you read in your Bible, most of you have a translation and it's going to read the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word gospel as a as a shortened form of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't come about until about 30 years after Jesus was on the earth. So if Mark had written this during the time that Jesus was actually on the earth, he would not have been able to use the word gospel because it didn't exist. It didn't exist as a descriptor, as a summary of Christ until about 30 years after his life, which is when Mark is writing this. So at the time Mark is writing it, he can say the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ because by then everybody, people had come to understand that the word gospel could represent the events of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But at the time that Christ was on the earth, this was not the case. It would be better, so as not to cause confusion, that your translation, beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now the reason I say that is because in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God with a colon, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now this is the CS, CSB. Now why? Because the word good news is the exact same word that's used in Mark chapter one, verse one. So why did they decide in Mark 1.1 to translate it the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in verse 14, they translated the good news of God. Ending, repent and believe the good news, same word. So you, as the lay reader, when you read your Bible, you see these words, but you don't know what the difference is or why it should matter. Why did he put, why did they translate it one way in one place and a different way in another place? And because you don't know Greek, you don't know that they pulled a switcheroonie. You, you don't know, you're just reading it, but you don't have the ability to appreciate it because they didn't give you any notes or any kind of information to help you see that it's the exact same Greek word that's being translated in two different ways in order to suggest there may be difference in intent. Now in your Bible, depending on what version you have, most of you in your Bible, it probably says proclaiming the gospel of God is how your Bible reads. There is a difference 
And today we're going to begin the exploration of discovering why. Now last week I, I began to introduce you to the concept of the kingdom of God and what it is. Okay, you need to know that Jesus came preaching this very message. When the sun was setting, all of those who had anyone sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus. As he laid his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Also, demons were coming out of many, shouting and saying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. When it was day, he went out and made his way to a deserted place. But the crowds were searching for him. They came to him and tried to keep him from leaving. But he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. In other words, the purpose of Christ coming to this earth was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That is the controlling message of Jesus Christ. All of his ministry is, in fact, about the gospel of the kingdom of God, as I'm going to show you. In Luke chapter 9, verse 12, which is near the end of his ministry, summoning the 12 disciples, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So it's important, I want you to get it in your mind now, that Jesus' central message from the time he started his ministry until near the end was about one thing and one thing only, proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. It is the core, it is the absolute essential that you understand that Jesus was here to do one thing. So far, the word, it is necessary, or this was my calling, is a word that's only gonna be used two times of Christ. The first time it's about what he preached, the second time will be about his death. Now. Last week, I introduced you to seven conditions to enter the kingdom of God. And just by way of review, I just wanted to review these so that you'd have them because they are very important. Number one, you got to seek it. The defining traits. The defining traits means that which is the absolute essence of something. The defining traits of an apple it has a skin, it has flesh, it has seeds, and it has a stem. Every apple you get will have those unless the stem is removed. Now it can be different colors apples, but they're gonna have skin. 
it's going to have flesh that you eat, and in the core, it's going to have seeds, unless somebody got fancy and created a seedless apple, which makes no sense because you can't grow anymore. So first, you seek it. Secondly, you need, you need to know that you can lose it. The kingdom of God is something that can be gotten, but it can also be lost. It is also said to be difficult for the rich to enter. The only group of people that Jesus individually singled out as in danger, they're not the only ones, by the way, but it is the only group that he singled out with such an, a harsh clarity. No entrance. Impossible, he says. Almost non-existent. The fourth one, he says, is that you, can, you have to be born of water and spirit. John chapter 3, verse 5. In other words, there has to be repentance and new birth. They're not the same. Number five, he says, you, you can inherit it. The kingdom of God can be inherited, but you can also be disinherited. Number six, he says, you have to be worthy of it. It is not automatic. 2 Thessalonians 1.5 says that the kingdom of God, you have to be worthy it is, you don't get it automatically. It is not something that you are just automatically assigned to. You have to be worthy of it. And then lastly, number seven, he says, Paul says in Acts chapter 14, 21, 22, that you have to suffer to get in. Now, with those seven conditions or seven traits or seven defining attributes, that should tell you right off the bat that you got a problem, okay? So first thing I gotta do is I gotta, I gotta help you understand what the kingdom of God is not, okay? Because it is very confusing and it is often taught that it is basically the same thing as the gospel of Christ, but it's important for you to know that it, it is not the gospel of Christ. Gospel of Christ is going to be defined distinctively and differently from what we have been taught, unfortunately. The church went through about a thousand years where there was no preaching and teaching from the Bible. People basically, if you didn't go to a Catholic church, you had no access to the Bible. After we set the Bible free from its captive, people are now still learning things that were lost during the thousand years, and this is one of them. Now, last week, um, by the way, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, all this other stuff, will be added unto you. Now, the fact that he said seek it should tell you what it is not. For example, in Romans chapter uh, 3, verse 9 through 11, what then, Paul, Paul is writing, what then? Are we any better off? Not at all, for we have, 
For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Now, Paul says that man in his natural state does not seek God. Therefore, when Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he, he cannot be saying that man in and of himself can seek God because he can't. He has no capacity to. In fact, he doesn't know, he doesn't know he needs to. The only way that this verse can be true, nobody seeks God, and Jesus' command to seek the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is not the same thing as salvation. It can't be. Because apart from the power of God, no man knows that he has this as a problem. Now, very important. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. Now, this is Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 through 23. This is verse 21. What, what is that? How, what would you describe this as? Oh. Who said that? Good for you, bully. The gospel of Christ, which, which in a nutshell can be summarized as the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. This is what we call the gospel of Christ, though it it is not truncated. We, we do it, but we do it to a disservice, and I'll show you why later. But for now, you know that when, when Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to go and suffer many things, be killed, and be raised on the third day, that this is considered the kernel, the core of the gospel of Christ. Okay? But I want you to notice Peter. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concern. Now, because you've read this many times and because you've heard it preached many times, the uniqueness of it is probably lost. Okay? As we said, he is describing what we call the gospel of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, when Matthew starts, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary. Now, 
Remember I told you that there are two times in the scriptures where it says Jesus must do something. One, he must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And number two, he must die. Those are the only two imperatives that were placed on the life of Christ by God the Father. It says from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciple that it was necessary. Now, what I need you to do is understand how significant this phrase is from then on. From what time? Why does it say from this time on Jesus started telling the disciples that he had to go suffer, die, and be raised from the dead? Now, this is a very important little, little phrase that I want to teach you. Apotote. Comes from the Greek apo, A-P-O, apo, means um, from, from a point in time. Tote is the Greek word for time, from, the, from time, from this time, from now, apotote. In the ESV, it's translated from that time. In the Net Bible, it says from that time on. The King James Version says from that time forth, okay? This is a word that is apotote, the phrase apotote, is a phrase that has a mark which cuts time into two. So when it says from that time, it means that before that time, he had not done this. From this point forward, he did it. But from the point before, he did not. So Matthew sets up a clear line of demarcation. There was a time when Jesus did not say, preach or teach that he was going to die. But there was a very clear point in time when he did. And this is it. Mark chapter 16, verse 21 and following. Now, how important this phrase is, let me establish. It's a temporal, meaning time from which. This usage specifies a time from which some event has occurred. It also occurs in Luke chapter 16, verse 16, which we will eventually look at. From then, the kingdom of God is proclaimed. And it says that, with the death of John the Baptist, Jesus started preaching this message, which is what we just saw and established, with an adverb functioning as the object of the preposition. Now, Stanley Porter is an outstanding scholar, scholar who recognizes and sees that this word, apotote, is critical for understanding a significant break in time. Uh, W.A.E. Well, in his commentary, says, for the first time in Matthew, Jesus foretells his death. First time. This is the first explicit declaration by Jesus that he was going to die. He had not done this before. Okay? Now, and we know this by the fact that Matthew uses this very critical term. 
At a second crucial point in, in the narrative, Jesus begins a new activity according to one view of the structure of Matthew. The phrase from then on begins the third major section of the Gospel of Matthew, and it does. This threefold view of Matthew's structure has not been followed here, but nevertheless, chapter 16, verse 21, remains the first of four times in Matthew where Jesus unambiguously announces his death and resurrection to his disciples. The rest of the narrative in Matthew, that is chapter 16 through chapter 28, is encapsulated in this single verse. Now, what does that mean? It means this, that Matthew chapter 16 through chapter 28 is consumed or concerned with one thing. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me show you why this is so important. A.T. Robertson, one of the best Greek scholars ever known, he writes this, the time of the confession of Peter began a real epoch or time, epoch, in the teaching of Jesus has come. It is just a little over six months to the end and the disciples know nothing of the death of Jesus save parabolic illusions which they did not understand. He could have wrote it a lot simpler, but scholars do this. Now, the thing that I want you to get here is this word, six months. How long was the ministry of Jesus? It's purported to have been how long? Three years and a half. It, most people say Jesus' ministry lasted three and a half years. And, and there's good proof for that that the ministry of Christ was three and a half years. What this word, what he's saying is, and by the way, if you, if you go to his book, you'll see that he sets out a chronology for the New Testament that says the, prophet, the prediction of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, is six months before he dies. Six months, which means for the first three years of Jesus' ministry, what did he preach? Yeah, he was totally into the kingdom. The first three years, he never said anything to them about dying in an explicit way. He said twice in an illusion that they didn't understand, had no clue what he was even talking about. But the first time he told them in clear unambiguous terms they got it hey let me show you what I mean here as we indicate above from that time requires a clear adverbial marker like from then on or that was the time when Jesus began so you have to have some kind of indicator in the text to indicate that this is something brand new that the disciples had never heard before. Now, how do we know this? How do we know that when Jesus said this, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the elders, they're going to kill me, and on the third day I'm going to rise. 
This is the first time Jesus said it. Now, it's a little confusing when, when you read through the gospel because it's in chapter 16. You think, well, this must be the middle. No, it's not. In fact, it's only six months until he's dead. They're going to skip four months. Then he's going to be two months. Then he's going to be two weeks. And then he's going to be two days, which I'll show you. But how do I know that this is the first time that Jesus said this? I know it because of Peter's response. He would not have responded this way if he had heard this before. The only way that can explain why he did what he did is that this is the very first time that he'd heard this. Now, what I'm doing here, ladies and gentlemen, is I'm building a case. Because if you, t if you tell someone this, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. Because they don't have the framework. They don't understand how it works. You do now. How do we know that it was six months before Jesus died that he told the disciples that he was going to die? Well, the reason we know this is because of Peter's response. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. There is no way to explain Peter's response here unless this is the first time Peter heard this. And it is. Now, unfortunately, the, the English translation can't really do justice to the Greek that's being translated. Timinao, the, the, the verb timinao, Peter took him aside and began. It's, it's imperfect. He didn't just say, don't say that. He, he kept saying it over and over and over. You, you got to be kidding. You got to be kidding. You, you can't. You can't. You can't. That this, this, he, he began to rebuke. He didn't just say to him one time, Lord, don't say that. That's not good. It was like he was extremely frustrated and extremely upset. And he kept saying it to Jesus. Don't do that. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. In the Greek, it's emphatic. It is the strongest negation. It's the strongest negative you can use in Greek when you want to say not. Not, no, never, not a know-how. You, you have to put all of them in there in order to get the sense of what Peter is saying. Peter is saying, I cannot believe you. Think I, no way you're going to go down there and let them die. I'd rather die. I'll kill everybody down there for you, which he's going to try to do. Uh, but Jesus told him, put your sword away, Peter. You don't understand the will of God. This is very important. Because when you read your New Testament, because of the way it's translated, they don't give you these clues to show you what's going on so that you understand not to confuse the gospel of Christ and the gospel of God. The gospel of God was the message of Jesus for three years. The gospel of Christ was only his message for six months. There's more. There's a lot more, in fact, um, that I have to teach you. Because it is the confusion of these two 
is why we have a thing called Arminian. The reason we have the problem of Arminianism, people believing that they can lose their salvation, is because they confuse these two. Because people don't have security in their salvation, don't know whether they're saved or not, don't know, they struggle, is because of the confusion that's caused by these two. Father, I pray for your people today. They, they sit in a fog, which is usually caused by preachers who don't explain the text well enough for people to understand. I pray that as we journey through, the power of the gospel of God will become evident and that it would become the controlling factor for our lives. Everything we do, everything we say, this is my prayer. Thanks to each of you for joining me in this study. Visit KingdomAlive.us. That's www.KingdomAlive.us for more information. Please tell a friend and join us next time. Until then, train to reign.